Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you for being here this morning. We got a lot of folks out traveling. Uh, Pastor Buster and Miss Charlotte are away traveling this weekend. Pastor Kevin and, and his family are away traveling this weekend. Uh, but you're here, and I'm glad, and I'm here, and I trust that everyone had a great Thanksgiving. I hope that you did. My family and I had a really good one, and uh, very grateful for that. This morning we're going to do our final sermon um, in our Thanksgiving series before shifting gears uh, next week and, and getting into Advent. Christmas is around the corner, uh, so hopefully uh, you all are, are ready and anxious as we are in the Thompson household for that. I wanted to add one thing to one of Adam's announcements. Most of you are aware, but for those of you who aren't, that lead distribution is to a men's prison, and so that would only be open to men. So any of our men... Uh, who are able and willing, uh, like he said, get that information to us. And we usually have a pretty good turnout. We can usually get in. We'll leave here around between lunchtime and 2 o'clock, depending on what time they tell us they need us there. And it usually takes a couple hours to do that. So really wonderful opportunity for us to minister to those in great need. So hopefully you can make plans to participate. One other word of praise. The um, prisoner packets are going to be distributed in the coming week, but our church collected, uh, and I didn't bring my note, but I believe it was 133, right? 133 prisoner packets that you all put together and collected, and those will be distributed uh, to men and women across our state who might otherwise receive nothing at Christmas. But in the name of Christ, they will receive a gift, um, small gift, uh, but uh, we have the opportunity to present those gifts and say, in the name of our Lord Jesus, we're giving this to you. And uh, the opportunities that that opens are incredible. So uh, please be praying, even if you can't participate. But if at all possible, I'd encourage you to make every effort you can, men, to participate with us in that event. Did I tell you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12? I didn't. We're in Hebrews chapter 12. So go ahead and turn. Hebrews is in the New Testament. Okay? It's toward the end. It's right before the book of James. You're going to make it all the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, the Corinthians. You're going to get all the way through the pastoral epistles, and then boom, you're going to be there after Thessalonians. All right? Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Please stand with me in honor of God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us pray. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God, who in his infinite wisdom sent Jesus to be our Savior and fills us with the Holy Spirit of God. I pray this morning we would be encouraged by that great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us, that great cloud of witnesses that is in existence around us today, Lord God, and confident in the full and final perfection that will come when we stand in the presence of our Lord Jesus and he makes all things new, even us. Lord, I pray that you would be blessed to speak to us today, that your Holy Spirit would work, open our hearts to receive your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If we're not careful, we can sort of ride a hobby horse and, 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 and talk about one thing to the exclusion of lots of other things, 
right? Um, if we're not careful, we can, uh, we, can, we can do those things. There was a football game yesterday. There were several. Do you know that Texas A&M and LSU went to seven overtimes? Seven overtimes, right? And then Texas A&M won. Seven overtimes. Clemson, Carolina didn't quite make it to seven overtimes. But I'm going to tell you, at halftime, it looked good. If we could have just played a first quarter, we'd have been okay. But you know, Monday morning quarterbacks are fantastic. Monday morning quarterbacks are wonderful. All of us could gather around a coffee pot and talk about what my team or your team should have done or shouldn't have done. Well, if only they'd have ran the ball more. If only they'd have thrown the ball more. Even last night during the game, I, I heard, I heard the, the, the second guessing, you know, as announcers regularly do. Well, so-and-so was wide open. He should have thrown it right there. Well, you know what? It's real easy to say what somebody should have done when, they, when, you're, when you're sitting back hundreds of yards away. It's real easy from the comfort of my TV screen, right there in my chair in my den, for me to be able to tell the coach what he should have done and every player what he should have done. It's, 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 it's easy. But, but then we tend to be sort of heavy one way or the other. If we were to talk about football, some of y'all, some of y'all would sort of take the approach that says you should throw the football just enough to distract the team so that you can run and pound the ball the whole time, right? Other people want to run that spread offense and don't think you should ever throw the foot, run the football unless you just have to. Everybody has their own opinion about things. Y'all, we can kind of get that way when it comes to the church. You can have your little pet thing when it comes to the church. We can have your little pet thing when it comes to the Bible. Right? We, we, so, some people want to emphasize over and over and over again the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. To the exclusion of everything else. They want to talk maybe even about uh, uh, lots of... So we have some people that say be, being open to the Holy Spirit means you shouldn't even prepare a sermon. Just walk up there and, and see what the Holy Spirit of God brings. That is a bad idea, just so, so we're all clear. Y'all don't want me to come up here and just tell you whatever comes to my head. Because you know what's going to come to my head or heart? The last thing I read this morning or whoever made me angry this morning or who didn't make me angry. It's bad. It's not that we don't trust the Holy Spirit. Okay? Other people say, you know what? We should make a plan because the Spirit of God works through careful organization and planning. And you should never deviate from that plan. There's all kinds of things. One of the, the, the ways that in our church, if I can be honest with you, I'm afraid that we sort of lean one way or the other is when we talk about the church, we talk unapologetically about the local church. The Bible doesn't give us a picture of a Christian who belongs to a, or excuse me, the Bible does not give us a picture of a believer who does not belong to a local church. There's no such thing in the Bible as a Christian who is just sort of a Christian without a partnership and a belonging in a local congregation, period, all right? Um, we, we've given you the numbers. It's something like about 90% of all of the numbers that we see, 90% of the references that we see to the church in the New Testament are in reference to the local church over and over and over again. And as a result, well, let me back up, and, 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 and because in our culture we have a lot of people, especially in the South, right? it's still culturally acceptable in the South to be a Christian, but it's not always culturally enjoyable to be committed to a local church. There are responsibilities that come when you're committed to Malvern Hill Baptist Church. So there are a lot of people in the South that are Christians, but you know, I'm just not into that whole church thing. This is why some of our folks really enjoy doing ministry in places like the Northeast or in Europe. Because when you get there, they don't lie to you. They're just honest. 
No, I do not follow Jesus. Here in the South, people still feel like they need to tell you a lie. Right? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I got baptized when I was six. Really? Because, I mean, I've never known you to do anything that remotely resembled Jesus, and you're 56. Yeah, but my mama said I was, and my daddy's a deacon. All that to say, because of that culture, we tend to, over, we tend to emphasize over and over and over again the role of the local church. Christians belong to churches, period. Okay? And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you do, let me back up. If you do not have a desire to belong to a local fellowship of believers in Jesus, you should at least ask the question of whether or not you belong to Jesus. I was with my family this weekend. Right? Do you know why I enjoy my family? Because whether I like to admit it or it's not always fun to acknowledge, but I am like them. Okay? Where's Angela? It's true, baby. I'm sorry. I'm like them, right? We, we tend to like the same things. One of my brothers and I can, this is no lie, we will, we on more than one occasion have shown up at family gatherings wearing the same shirt. We can walk into a store and go opposite directions and meet one another back in the middle and be carrying the same shirt that we both picked up at different times off of the rack. And then we have to do paper, rock, scissors who gets the shirt. Or we just finally say, well, we don't see one another that much. We'll both buy it. And then, lo and behold, we show up at the family gathering wearing the same shirt. But we're like, listen, if you don't belong to a local church, why? If you don't look like believers, in, if you don't have things in common with believers in Jesus to such a degree that you want to be around them, you should at least wrestle with the question of whether or not you are a believer in Jesus. Y'all are wondering what all this has to do with the sermon. One of the things that if I'm not careful, I can emphasize the local church to such a degree that we almost forget that there is a universal church that exists. And this morning, what I want us to be thankful for is not only for Malvern Hill. We did that two weeks ago and last week for our own family. I want us to be thankful for the church, the universal church that extends not only geographically, but extends chronologically throughout the ages. We are not the only show in town. We are not the only place where God's people are gathered this morning. We are not the first generation of people who have recognized the blessing that it is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning in the book of Hebrews, the writer who we don't know who he is, reminds us that we are a part of something larger than ourselves and even larger than our local fellowships. We are part of a great cloud of witnesses. This should be encouraging because sometimes it can seem a little bit lonely to be a Christian. Sometimes we Christians can believe pretty crazy things. And when we're gathered here on Sunday mornings where we can praise our hands, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. We can sing praise to this God who on the third day rose again. And we can, we, we're okay because everybody in here agrees that we all believe in this really crazy thing that Jesus died and actually rose from the grave. But listen, you walk into a bunch of people that don't know the Lord and don't have good experience with the Lord and you say, yes, I believe that the dead come back to life. And they look at you like you lost your mind. It can be a little, a little bit lonely to be a follower of Jesus. We believe some pretty crazy things. But the writer to Hebrews was writing to a group of people who were suffering because of their belief. I'm not talking about suffering in the way that some Americans like to believe you're suffering. Folks, you ain't suffering. Okay? Listen, we are not suffering. We are not being persecuted. There are certainly people in our culture 
who don't share a Judeo-Christian worldview. There may be even some who want to see our culture take a turn further away from a Judeo-Christian. I don't deny any of that, but we are not suffering. You got up with heat this morning. Almost every one of you rode a car in a car to get here. You're not suffering. Nobody's waiting outside with a gun to shoot you on the way out or taking your name down to make sure that you lose your job tomorrow because you came here to worship Jesus. But the writer to the Hebrews is writing to a group of people who are suffering as a result of their Christian faith. And he's writing to let them know that they are not all alone. Things are not as bad as they might could be. He wants them to know. He even says that no matter what the cost, that you should continue to gather for worship publicly because it is a big deal. But the greatest encouragement that he gives after going throughout the entire book of Hebrews and explaining to them just how crazy their faith was, was to remind them they weren't all alone. Anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you should always ask what question? What's it there for, right? And so Hebrews 12 begins with therefore. Well, he, that, that therefore comes about on the back end of Hebrews chapter 11. Now Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter in the Bible that we refer to as the great hall of faith. Right? And in that chapter, the writer to the Hebrews recounts to this Jewish congregation, this Jewish background audience he's writing to, recounts many of the great heroes of the Old Testament. By faith they did all of these things. What are some of these things? He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered Isaac. Number 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. By faith, people crossed the Red Sea. What more shall we say? Verse 32, by faith, or or time would would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. He writes to them and he says, you're a part of a long history that precedes even the birth of death, and resurrection of Jesus. Remember, what you are experiencing is the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. By faith, they believed all of these things. And you today are continuing to believe by faith. So he writes to them and he says, You are not all alone. Folks, have you ever received encouragement just to know that you weren't all alone? alone why is it that we as the church make a big deal of showing up in in the waiting room when a loved one is having an operation because it's just good to know that when you're a little uncomfortable in those environments that you're just not all alone when you're struggling in your faith and somebody comes alongside you it's good to know you're not all alone I've said this before and I'll keep on saying it, but the reason that our, our high school students all get a study Bible before they leave this place is because I remember what it's like to be a freshman in college and to have professors who were saying things about the Bible that I didn't believe to be true. They didn't match up with what my pastor had taught me and my parents had led me to believe. 
I actually believed that Moses crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. I believed that. I believed that axe heads float because God's word told me so. I believe that God spoke these words and that Moses wrote them down. I don't believe that they were the construction of some priestly class during the exile. But when I had professors that began to proclaim these things to me, my head began to swim. Do you know the greatest encouragement that came to me is when I started leaving that school-issued Oxford Annotated Bible in in my dorm room, and I started carrying that black leather Thompson New King James Study Bible Nelson, excuse me, New King James Study Bible to class with me every single day. Because when I sat in class and I began to have my belief systems challenged, I could read God's Word and I could say, well, this seems to make common sense and what they're doing doesn't seem to jihad with what I understand. But then I could jump down below that big thick black line and I could read those study notes and I could say, you know what, I'm not all by myself. There's at least one other person on the face of the planet that believes what I believe about God's Word. Now, that was my ignorant approach. If somebody had taken the time to explain to me how to use a study Bible, what I would have learned is it's not just there's one person. There are hundreds of people who went into the process of putting this book together and who went into the process of creating these notes. There are literally hundreds of people who believe what I believe, and I I know that because it's right here. I'm not all by myself. And folks, I don't know that it's an exaggeration to say that my faith stood through that trial because I was not all alone. Parents of high schoolers, you need to make sure that your kids have spiritual heroes on speed dial. Other than you. Because when they begin to question their faith, 90% of the time, you're not the first person that they're going to want to talk to about it. They need to have spiritual heroes, Christian heroes on speed dial. So they start feeling like they're all alone and nobody else believes that plain, old, crazy Christian story. They need to have Christian heroes on speed dial so they can pull it up and hit one button and somebody answers on the other end of the phone and says, what do you need? And they say, brother, I don't know. My life is so mixed up. And this guy just told me that we can't even trust the word. They told me that nobody really believes this. What do we do? You talk them back off the ledge and you say, not only does a lot of people believe this, but you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses the first thing we see this morning is we should be thankful for the great cloud of biblical witnesses folks I want you to take your encouragement to trust and follow Christ not only from his promises that should be the first place hear me say but if those promises one day seem a little bit too much to swallow I want you to consider that great cloud of biblical witnesses you can walk in faith because of all those old testament saints who trusted the lord but it's not just the old testament saints is it you can walk in faith because that great cloud of biblical witnesses includes also the new testament saints 
When people begin to question whether or not Jesus would have actually risen from the dead or could be all that he claimed to be, I want you to consider this. I want you to listen very carefully and consider that Jesus encouraged Jesus actually started a movement that was so significant that people who were deeply tied to their Jewish tradition would walk away from it and die because they believed that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Folks, I want you to incur, I want you to try and convince people just to go die for a cause that they don't actually believe is true. It'd be difficult, and yet the biblical writers teach us that Jesus appeared to more than 500 witnesses before he ascended into heaven. All of the apostles saw him. They touched him. They conversed with him. They ate with him. They fellowshiped with him. They received their marching orders from him. That great cloud of biblical witnesses. The writer of Hebrews says that many of those great cloud of witnesses in the Hebrew tradition... Strong men and women of faith were enabled to serve the Lord not in their own strength, but in faith in God's strength. They could lean on a tradition of faith because that tradition existed within their culture. All of their culture had been built around faith in God, and the Christian belief was not a completely new thing. It was the continuation of God's plan. Just as Noah, Abraham, Moses, Deborah, and David had served the Lord, so too were these Hebrew believers serving the Lord. The writer of the Hebrews wanted to make sure he drew a connection there. That the God they were serving, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was the God of Jesus and James and Paul. He is one and the same. And that great cloud of biblical witnesses gave them hope. Folks, when it seems like things are a little crazy with these belief systems. I want you to remember that there is a great cloud of biblical witnesses that followed, you ready, in faith. In faith. Now folks, faith is not a blind acceptance. Faith is not closing my eyes and just picking something at random. I have faith in gravity. I have faith in gravity because why? Because I've seen gravity work. Look, I can't see gravity. Do you understand that? I can't. But I have 100% confidence that when I drop this pin in just a moment, that this pin will hit the ground. I can't see gravity, but it's there, right? Why? Because all of the other things that I've seen point to one reality. And that gravity is a force that exists on this earth and that is always the same. And there, there it is. We talk about having faith in the Lord. The writer of Hebrews says faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for in chapter 11 verse 1. And the conviction of things not seen. He doesn't say that we just throw darts at a board blindly and hope we figure something out. No. He says that when we look at all the history of Israel and all this great cloud of biblical witnesses, there's only one explanation. And that explanation is the Lord God, Jehovah God, Yahweh God. He says, just as they walked in faith, so too they believed in faith in a coming Messiah they didn't get to see. You have, have, you have the opportunity of living after this Messiah has arrived. Your faith in many ways, you're realizing their faith. And today you're continuing to walk in faith. Not that the Messiah would arrive, but faith that the Messiah has arrived. And faith that that Messiah is going to take you home to be with him. Have confidence in that great cloud of biblical witnesses. Number two this morning. Thank God for the great cloud of extra-biblical witnesses. 
Now, look, we don't talk a great deal about extra-biblical things in a sermon because at the end of the day, there's primarily one thing that we talk about in a sermon, and it's this. This is our only hope right here. But listen, you can, you can and you should thank God for the great cloud of extra-biblical witnesses. We don't just have the saints of the Bible. We have those saints who have come along since the Bible was completed. Let's think about some of these great cloud of witnesses. Men like Justin Martyr and Irenaeus and Athanasius and Augustine. Anselm and Luther and Calvin and John Newton and William Wilberforce. Jonathan Edwards and Abraham Lincoln and Lottie Moon and Martin Luther King and Billy Graham and John Stott. All of these folks who have gone on ahead. Folks, can I tell you something? We live in a, in a time in which our world is divided. It's crazy. I think we talked about this last Sunday morning. The division that we see is wild. And yet, when I look at this great cloud of biblical witnesses, I recognize that much of the early church was formed in Africa. And we can look back and see that that great cloud of biblical witnesses is from every nation, tribe, and tongue. That God didn't just do his thing to one people. The Bible says that God has done his thing to all people. That he's broke down the dividing wall. That's what he talks about over and over in Galatians. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. We are all one in Christ. And I can look at this great cloud of biblical witnesses and celebrate. And then I can look at the great cloud of extra biblical witnesses and celebrate. That from lots of different cultures and lots of different places and kingdoms, Jesus is raising up his people into one place. Thank God for that cloud of extra biblical witnesses. Folks, can I encourage you to spend time trying to figure out who some of these people are? Do you know? Do you know that we have Athanasius to thank for orthodoxy in the church today? That during the Arian controversy, when Arius argued that Jesus was not of the same substance of God, but Jesus was something like God, that it was Athanasius who did the hard work. They said he was kind of an ugly, short black man. They called him the black dwarf. Athanasius, I don't even know how this works. A black man with a red beard and a hooked nose. That's how he was described. Not a whole lot to look at. And yet this was a man who spent time over and over in prayer and in study. And he walked in. To the council of Nicaea. And he says, no! We will stand on God's word and God's word alone. Who else is at the council of Nicaea? Y'all have heard this before. St. Nicholas. My favorite story. That's right. Legend holds that St. Nicholas did what? Punched out Arius right there on the floor of the convention. True story. I'm not making that up. There was supposedly a fist fight. Santa Claus bringing the heat. Then we have, so watch, and then we have all this, John Newton, who is John Newton, do you know? You should. William Wilberforce, who is William Wilberforce? William Wilberforce was almost singly responsible to abolish the slave trade in Great Britain and what would ultimately filter into the United States. Abraham Lincoln was a man who was not closely tied to a local church as he should have been, but was a man who who displayed a great faith in the God of our fathers, filled his speeches with, with reference to Christ. Lottie Moon, our great Southern Baptist missionary who starved to death on her way back from China so that others could hear the gospel. Martin Luther King, who gave his life so that freedom could reign. Jonathan Edwards, who is the greatest mind, perhaps certainly the greatest theological mind that's ever lived in the United States, 
Billy Graham, need we say any more? John Stott on the other side of the water. But how about these people you don't know? How about Ruth Taylor? Y'all know who Ruth Taylor is? You don't? Let me just let you know. Ruth Taylor grew up, and I guess, I don't know exactly where she grew up, but she died in a small thousand square foot mill house with barely two pennies to rub together. But Ruth Taylor prayed for me, I'm convinced, every day of her life as long as she had breath in her body. I grew up knowing Ruth Taylor at my home church. And when the Lord called me to ministry, Miss Ruth was a prayer warrior for the Lord, and she continued to pray. I'm thankful for a lady like Ruth Taylor, and she gives me confidence to continue to move forward because she gave her life. What about a man like Randy Wilson? Do you know Randy Wilson? No, you don't. Randy Wilson was one of the smartest men I ever knew who loved Jesus as a child. He gave his life to serious study, and he gave his life to studying the Scriptures. And get this, this man who had been a college professor found joy teaching elementary school boys Sunday school. Man, I got great confidence in a man like that. I got great, great confidence and joy in seeing that great cloud of extra-biblical witnesses. Couldn't we walk through and share story after story of those who've gone on from this church? They should give us great confidence because they faced death with confidence knowing that in faith to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, one of the great joys, even though it is a terrible tragedy, one of the great joys as a Christian and as a pastor is I get to be at the bedside of dying saints somewhat regularly. Dying saints of God face death with confidence. They're afraid often, but there is confidence knowing that their soul is secure in Christ. It's a privilege. Thank God for the great cloud of extra-biblical witnesses. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely. He says, since all these people are around, let us push it aside. Because listen, it's not just the cloud of witnesses that has gone on before. It's even the cloud of witnesses that's here with us today. But what about those who have gone on before? Those that you've known and those whom you haven't known. You can have great confidence. that listen to me. This gets swept under the rug because we are chronologically, we're chronological snobs. And what I mean by that is we assume that the, best, the, the, the newest thing is the best thing. Aubrey wants a record player for Christmas. I, a, a record, like, a, that's a record player. I said, baby, like, you want one that has, like, a, a, a radio and a CD player and an MP3 player? No, I just want a record player. Okay. You know, if you're happy, I'm happy. Why? I just do. What you going to play on some of those old-timey records, you know? She's Aubrey. <laughs> but my parents and Angela's mom know that Aubrey wants a record. It's blown their mind. They can't, they can't wrap their brain around this. Right? They can't because they, my dad says that they only want a record player because they never had to live with a record player. <laughs> he said, that's aggravating. I don't know why in the world anybody would want one. And once I got rid of a record player, I never want to go back. That's a man that appreciated an eight-track tape. I'm kind of excited that she wants something old because we're chronological snobs. We believe everything that's new is best, don't we? The newer, the better. And the newest is the best. So we believe that every smart person that's ever lived is alive today. 
And we believe the smartest people that ever lived are alive today. And if we watch enough TV, we'll be convinced that the smartest people alive today have no belief, no confidence, no trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you'll move past CNN, no, let's get past it. If you'll get off the History Channel, oh, just turn it off. If you'll turn it off and do something really difficult, like read a book. Sarcasm. You'll discover that many of the greatest minds that the world has ever known trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Go read Jonathan Edwards if you can. And when I say if you can, I mean if you're smart enough to wrap your brain around his argument and his belief that every single second exists because God wills it to be. And that if God were to decide to choose willing it, that the next moment doesn't actually exist except in potential reality. And it only exists if God so decrees it and declares it. Listen, when I, when I try to read it, I get a headache and, and nauseous and all these things at one time because I realize how much smarter he is than me. I can't, get, I can't wrap my brain around it. And you go all the way back to the Roman Empire. And during the fall of Rome, there were these arguments that Christians were the reason that Rome was in, in peril. And Augustine wrote the city of God in response to that argument. And it is the biggest brick of a book you've ever tried to pick up and read. It's awful. But why is it so awful? Because he is so much smarter than the rest of us normal people. The great, many of the greatest minds in history have believed that Jesus was the answer for all the problems of humanity. They believed that Jesus literally died and really rose. They believed that this book was inerrant and inspired and fully worthy of your faith and your confidence. Thank God for the cloud of biblical witnesses, but thank God for the cloud of extra-biblical witnesses. Listen, those folks that look at you and say, well, all you need is this. This is it. No, you don't get it. What a blessing to live 2,000 years after Jesus died. Because in those 2,000 years, God has used his people to change the world over and over and over again. We're so chronologically snobbish that people, I heard this question on a podcast this week. Did the Christian message spread so rapidly because there was a belief that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Or did it spread so rapidly because of the impact on social justice by Christians? This English philosopher responded with, uh, Sister, I believe you're a little confused. There could never have been an impact on social justice unless there had been a belief that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Unless lives and hearts were changed. He said, and you're reading your current moment back into history. And that's not okay. The Christian message spread so rapidly because people actually believed that Jesus died and rose again. And then watch, as God's people spread, the world started changing. Because as Condi shared just a few weeks ago, Christians were the first people in the Roman Empire began to see all these orphan children left to be exposed to the elements and die. And were to go out in the night and collect those children and bring them in and start orphanages. Christians were the first people to start hospitals. Christians were the first people to start not only Sunday schools and small schools. Christians started universities. Why did they start universities? Started universities trained pastors in part. But Christians also started universities because Christians were the first people to create science. 
Why were Christians the first people to understand science? Why did the scientific method rise up out of Christian lands? Because it was only Christian people who actually believed that the world was governed by laws. And those laws actually only made sense if there was a lawgiver who didn't change on a whim. Islam couldn't create it because Islam believes that the world exists exactly however God wills it in any particular moment. They can't have confidence in the laws of God because they don't believe in that kind of a God that is predictable and has revealed himself and has made himself known. But Christian people come with a Christian worldview. Boy, they could. Some of those Christians found themselves falling, running afoul of the church as they went in certain directions. And many skeptics have used that as fodder to suggest that Christianity is unbelievable. But listen, without a Judeo-Christian worldview, Galileo would have never gotten where he did. There'd be no Copernicus. We'd have no belief in laws of gravity because up to that point, what did people believe? People believed that there was just some God somewhere that just made something happen. So the God of fire, the God of trees, the God of rocks. But a Judeo-Christian worldview explained it all. There is a divine lawgiver who's given a divine law. And as a result of that divine law, all things are able to be studied. And get this, they didn't have fear of studying all things because they didn't have a fear that if they studied really hard that God would strike them dead. Why are there not critical editions of the Koran? Because Islam does not, conservative Islam does not believe in a critical study of the Quran, because to study it critically would be to find struggles and problems and errors with it. And to find errors would be to, to create holes in their belief system. But Christians said we can turn it over upside down, inside out, sideways, every which way from Sunday, because all truth is God's truth. And we need not fear that if we study too much, we will anger him or disprove him because he created it all and it all belongs to him. And you can be confident in that cloud of extra biblical witnesses. And finally this morning, you should thank God that you're not all by yourself. Finally, thank God for the universal church that's all around us. We emphasize the local church all the time, as I made reference to earlier. But the Bible does teach us, in addition to, the local, to, to this local church, that there are all sorts of local churches. And it's a privilege... It's a privilege to drive through the south. We left Spartanburg yesterday, and uh, my kids wanted to take a back road. And so we took an extra 10 minutes to drive down a back road. We came down Highway 56. And I drove down Highway 56, and I passed a sign that said Friendship Baptist Church. You see that yesterday? Do you remember Friendship Baptist Church? Friendship Baptist Church is the first church that ever offered me an opportunity to go and be a senior pastor. There were 37 of them. They were concerned about technology. Their, their, their music minister didn't like to use current technology, so they weren't sure how that would all work out. He, he, he really just doesn't like cassette tapes, they told me. I said, oh, mercy sakes, we're in a mess. Angel and I were young. We didn't have kids. There's a little bit of church out in the country. And they had a parsonage that I don't know would fit in this sanctuary. I don't know how big it was. We didn't go in it. But it was right beside the church. Big old two-story. It, it, it had to be five or six bedrooms. And here's what they said. We'd love for you to come be our pastor and fill up that parsonage. <laughs> I said, man, that'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Ultimately, we just didn't have a, a peace from the Lord for that. And that's why we're here. But first opportunity you ever had. I drove past and I saw Friendship Baptist Church. I could have hung a right and went right out there. I was thankful for that. I drove past Philadelphia Baptist Church. And I drove past... The, uh, the, the Methodist church. I drove past the AME church. And I came on down and come up the hill and I drove past some kingdom builder's legacy center. And I thought, well, there's another one. And I kept on driving and we got into Lawrence County and there was another church. 
In another church, if I'd have kept on driving, I'd have, I'd have driven right into Clinton. I could have driven up to the First Baptist Church of Clinton and the First Presbyterian Church of Clinton and the Methodist Church in Clinton and all of these cloud of biblical witnesses. But it's not just here in the South, is it? Man, I can drive up in the Northeast. God still has his people there. There are a whole lot of shuttered churches in the Northeast, but God's not finished. You know what God's doing in a place like Boston that is about as lost as Iraq? God is raising up a church planning movement. He's got his people right there. And there are people. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. There are our ambassadors up there in a dark place, a hard place. We should pray for them. And I can leave from Boston. I can drive all the way over to California. And you know what? I'll find Christian people serving all of those who have suffered through these horrendous wildfires. And I can leave there and I can drive down the coast of California. And I can find the site of a, of a mass shooting in a bar and still find Christian people showing up at that place and trying to minister and care because God's people show up. I can drive on down into Mexico and I'll find churches. I drive all the way through South America and I'm going to find churches popping up everywhere. Had lunch with a buddy the other day who's a part of a ministry and they're planting churches in South America on a shoestring budget. I said, man, how in the world are you doing this? He says, I don't know, but God is going to write the checks, I hope. I can jump on a boat or an airplane. I can fly over to Africa and I can find churches. I can go up into North Africa and I can see where the church really began to grow its theological roots. I can go up into Europe and I can see the places where during the Middle Ages it was the church that preserved culture. Do you know that? See, all of our secularists like to refer to it as the Dark Ages. It wasn't really all that dark, the church was thriving. The church was collecting all the literature that mattered and the, the things of the Lord, and they were copying it and replicating and duplicating it. See, it began to be rediscovered. Aristotle and others were rediscovered by the secularists, but they were only rediscovered because they were living in the monasteries. God's people were always serious about truth. And I can find those bombed-out shells of churches in Europe. And when I say bombed-out, I don't in this case necessarily mean literally. I'm figuratively. They've been bombed out by the secularism that's invaded Europe. They still t stand as testimonies to God's love there. Oh, but then if I really want to get encouraged, what I want to do is I want to jump in a plane and I want to fly into China. And I want to land in a place where the government is opposed to the people of God. But I want to find myself down in a hole in a back alley somewhere. And I want to knock three times and have somebody knock back twice and I knock once more and they let me in because I knew the secret code. I don't really, but let's just imagine that's what it was. And I want to walk in and not be able to breathe. And I want the smell to overwhelm me because there's so many bodies stacked into this one little room. And I want to see them gathered around the only Bible they've been able to smuggle into this place. And I want to hear somebody with a whispered voice begin to read, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And I want to celebrate and rejoice. Because right there in that place where it's hard to be a believer in Jesus Christ, God still has His people and then I want to go to Nepal and I want to see God's people in the mountains living dangerously. And I want to go on into India where God's people are working hard to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a culture that accepts millions of gods. And see God's people trying to explain that there's hope to be found only in one. 
And then after I've done all that, I want to come right back here to Malvern Hill Baptist Church. And I want to stand on my front porch. Your front porch. Our front porch. I want to look up there and I want to see the Nazarene church. And I want to know that David is preaching his heart out this morning to a gathered group of people who lifted their hands and worshiped the Lord. I want to look and see the church of God over there. I want to see sweet home back here. Praising the Lord. I want to drive right down Highway 1. I want to pass Hermitage Baptist Church. And I want to pass the First Methodist Church. And I want to go and see the First Baptist Church. I want to drive all the way out in Lugoff. I want to hang a left and go pull in the parking lot at Bethlehem Baptist Church. And praise the Lord that my brother is preaching his heart out this morning. We're not all alone. You live in Camden, South Carolina, or Lugoff, South Carolina, or Cassett, South Carolina, and God has his people everywhere. And when you go to work tomorrow, you might feel like it's a little bit lonely. When you go to school, it might feel like it's a little bit lonely. But that's just because your perspective isn't, isn't right. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what does he say? Let us wait, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us do what? Listen. This is the point of the sermon. Let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus. Why do we have all of this? Why did the writer of Hebrews tell us to look around? Not so that we could settle in and go, everything's good and safe and comfortable. No, so that we could throw aside all the weights that cling to us. And we could look to Jesus and we could run with endurance. Because you are not all alone. I'm not much of a runner. <laughs> I know y'all find that hard to believe by looking at me. But I'm not. Um, but uh, usually, the last few years, I've gone to youth camp with, with our kids. I'm not going this year, just so we're clear. Um, <laughs> uh, at least I'm not planning to. Um, but uh, occasionally, so we, we, some of our kids are, are runners. They, they, um, they run whatever track or cross country or whatnot. And, um, and they need to run some while they're at camp. They don't usually want to run some, but they usually need to run some while we're there. And uh, I've found it through the years that that's usually a pretty good opportunity for me to get some alone time, some one-on-one time with some of our guys. And um, so I'll take off. And, y'all, it's a, it's a terrible idea. I'm 2.30. They're like 1.30. Y'all can do the math. It's not good. I went running with one of our guys a couple years ago. He comes back, showers, and everything's done. I'm, I'm still sitting in the lobby sweating. Like he comes out. He's like, you, you're not ready for dinner? I'm like, ready for dinner, brother? I, I'll be sweating for another two hours. What have you done to me? I won't tell you what my miles are, but they're slow. I talked with Angela's cousin this weekend who's a Marine, and he was telling me what he had to run a mile. And I said, brother, I can't be a Marine. Um, but one of the fastest miles I ever ran was, was, was actually at North Greenville, up and down those hills. And it was because I was running with one of our kids, and I was just trying to keep up and not let him know how out of shape I was. Hey, you've been an old man in the Army. You know. You've been there. And, man, I'm running and running and sweating, and he's like, we good? Do we need to slow down? No, no I'm good. Well, you want to speed up? If you speed up, I'm going to kill you. 
It reminds me of when I used to take Wyatt and Aubrey running in a stroller. I'd put two of them in there. I'd give them popsicles. That's what I'd do so they'd hush. They'd have a little freezy pop. They're eating their little freezy pop. And inevitably, one of those little beautiful angels would look back at me. I'm pushing a double stroller running through my neighborhood up and down the hills. Daddy, can't we go any faster? I don't know why your mama had you. (laughs) But anyway, fastest times. When I ran with somebody else who was a little bit faster than me. Or a lot faster than me. And I was just trying to keep up. I mean, I was encouraged. You won't die, Craig. He didn't die yet. So you, if, if he can do it, you can do it. You're not all alone. God's given you a great cloud of witnesses. Celebrate that. Yes, there are distinctions between churches. There are some churches that the Lord may have written anathema across. I get that. But celebrate. God's grace is big and wide. And He's given us the privilege of being part of a body. It's bigger than Malvern Hill. It's bigger than Camden. It's bigger than South Carolina. It's bigger than the United States. Zane Pratt was here with us last year, IMB missionary. Or, well, VP at the IMB. And I love to do this with Zane. I say, Zane, what about, and I'll just name some random country. And he just smiles. He says, we got our people. What about that one? Yep, got them there too. Iran, he just grins real big. I don't know for sure what that means, but I know it means this. God's got his people there. What about that place? Surely not there. Man, those people are crazy that are there, but we got them. You're not alone. You have a great cloud of witnesses to run after. It should be encouraging. This morning as we finish, the invitation is actually a little different. Here's what I want. As we sing praises to the Lord, some of you may want to come up here and pray. You may want to do it right there in your seat. You might want to grab hands with somebody beside you and have this prayer. Here's what I want. I want you to pray today for that great cloud of witnesses. Would you do that today? Would you pray for a church down the road? Would you? Would you, would you maybe pray for a, a church plant just outside of Riga, Latvia? where a couple of American people are trying to figure out how in the world they're going to help these folks to be healthy? Would you maybe pray for Christians that we don't know in the middle of China? Maybe Christians in Southeast Asia where Islam is strong in a place like Indonesia. Perhaps you pray for a struggling, pray for a struggling church plant just in Colombia. Or maybe you want to pray for a sister church down the street. This morning as we come to the Lord, I want you to praise Him for the great cloud of witnesses and pray that God will continue to raise up His people. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray You'd be with us this morning and as we sing to You, I pray that our prayers for our brothers and sisters around the world and in our own backyard would be heard. That Father God, perhaps through Malvern Hill as we seek to love You and love others and change the world, that right here with these prayers we might just change the world. 
You work in response to the prayers of your people. Would you work today in Jesus' name? Amen.